If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio, and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of the 430 Movie. I'm here with... Steve Melching. Darren Dockerman. Ashley Miller. You know, and if you want to know what Ashley's pick out of the box is, you owe it to yourself to watch the 430 Movie live. You should see the expressions. The only way to understand the kinds of faces we're making when Ashley does Wednesday is to watch us on Electric Now. It's one thing to hear us, but (laughs) you can't see the expressions on our face. You can't hear disbelief. Coming soon, our new podcast, Ashley Does Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. (laughs) Caught in an endless time loop. We could have been trapped here for hours, days, Maybe years. Unable to remember the past. How did it happen? How did we get there? A starship collision lies dead ahead. We have to get out of here now. Can the crew escape their own destiny? Casualty reports coming in from all over the ship. Or will time tick towards their final hour? All hands abandon ship! On Star Trek The Next Generation. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is the Trexperts Briefing Room, where we curate significant episodes of Star Trek with writers, producers, and stars uh, from the history of Trek. And today, we're very happy to once again have the great Brandon Braga. At the time, he was a lowly, what were you, a lowly staff writer at the time? Uh, or you were executive story editor, or were no, you a producer a, by now? I was a staff writer. Oh, way back when. This is before. My, yeah, this was my second season with the show. And I, yeah, I didn't have an on-screen credit. I was a staff writer. Brandon, of course, has gone on to be showrunner for Star Trek Voyager, Enterprise, um, executive producer on the Orville. He's created shows like Salem and uh, uh, Terra Nova and Flash Forward. And the list goes on and on. Much success. He's it's, now... Um, you got to start picking shows that weren't canceled. Oh, every show is canceled. Eventually, Gunsmoke was canceled. Uh, <laughs> look, I mean, look at this legacy of television you leave behind. I mean, you know, it's amazing. I mean, we could pick, uh, you know, a roulette wheel with, you know, 100 episodes that you've written. I'm, I'm well, sure I, I most of them would be. Well, and this would be in terms of the ones I, I've been asked to talk about the most and asked about the most. This is certainly one up there. 
And yeah. it's one of my and it's one of my favorites too. I mean, in the past, we've talked about you know your your tenure on Enterprise. We talked about writing the movies like Generations and First Contact. But this is you know at the beginning, it was a very delicate time. Yeah, you know you were uh, you know it was. Uh, and, and 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 you know look, you have become renowned for being sort of the king of the time loop or the the time these great time episodes. I mean, of you know with uh, throughout all the shows, uh, you know time travel became your raison d'etre, right? And this was the first. This was the, yeah. the, and it was really the first time since yesterday's Enterprise that Star Trek, you know, did time in a really interesting way. Because if you look back, you know, their idea of doing time travel was like Maurice Hurley, Times Squared, which was a second season episode, which was, you know, super dopey. And like, you, you know, this was really like, you know, obviously had a lot of impact, of course, because it is one of the great Star Trek teasers of all time, which we'll see in just a moment. Yeah. I mean, when I, there was, uh, there were a list of things that Gene Roddenberry, uh, I don't want to say opposed, but certain things, he was skeptical of doing um, dream sequences mm. uh, and time travel. Mm. And I to totally understand his wariness of time travel. It's like, but I think what we did, started to do well on Star uh, Next Gen was not do the, the time travel trope of just traveling back to prevent something from happening. And this was, this was the first, one of the first, if not the first um, time loop stories brought to the screen. Um, I don't mm -hmm. know if there's been a time loop story like this in movies or television. There were some in literature, I believe there were, but this was kind of so new at the time that when it aired, people, called the local TV stations saying something was wrong with the TV. Right. Or the, something was wrong with the broadcast. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And people forget, you know, now they call it the Groundhog's Day episodes. But, you know, it's like this was before Groundhog's yeah, Day it was, it was, was made and, 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 and released. Yes, it was by uh, two years, maybe, somewhere in that range, yeah. And it's funny because you've seen variations on this theme done on a lot of genre shows since. But this was really the, the first time yeah. it was done. People's idea of time travel was City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. You go back, something has changed, the Terminator, whatever. And, and this was a way of doing time travel without doing time travel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's how I looked at it. Great. Well, let's take a look at, at the episode. Um, you can uh, watch it on the beautiful CBS um, home video uh, Blu-ray set. Uh, the remastered set that was released a few years ago. Uh, or, of course, you can stream it on Paramount+, Plus, Amazon, Netflix, or wherever you watch your Star Trek episodes. So um, if you will, Darren, count us down, and we'll begin uh, Brandon's commentary on cause and effect. All right. And the, if, uh, fingers on the play button. Here not, we go. We're doing commentary together. Oh yeah, we're doing we're doing There's it together. Commentary. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not just going to shut off our mics and let you go Thanks, ahead. Yeah. Thanks. I'm going to go have lunch. Enjoy. Uh, have a good commentary. Good luck. <laughs> All righty, here we go, everybody. Ready to press play in three, two, one, go. You know. Yeah. Report. Report oh God, I have to look at it in writing. <laughs> That's going to remind me of... <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. You know, John, John Frakes hadn't, 
hadn't directed a ton at this point of television. Now he's he's an old hand. He's a journeyman. He's a veteran uh, TV director, having done a ton of TV. Um, but uh, he really does a beautiful job with this episode. And this is a, a challenging show to do because, of course, it could feel very redundant uh, if you kept shooting things the same way. I mean, the key was the subtlety of reshooting this multiple times, multiple ways. Did you guys yeah. spend much time doing tone meetings and, and no, talking I mean, about your script? At this, at this point, I was not... Um, no. I was just I was a lowly staff writer, and I didn't sure. really get to get involved with those kinds of things. Um, I was excited that Jonathan was directing it, and he did do an amazing job of keeping things just just different enough without calling attention to right. the directing. Um, and uh, so, it, it, his his directing is as much a star as anything in this episode. It had to be handled just the right way. Right. And um, I think it was good that he was somebody who was on that set every day, interacting with those actors every day. He was, he was exactly the right person to do the episode. He yeah. also knew how these sets were shot, so he could right. you know, find different ways to shoot them that weren't the same standard ways where, okay, we throw the camera on sticks here and we shoot this way, and it's right. like... That's right. Um, and... Uh, yeah, this episode, I wish I'd kept all of the documentation and story memos and all the things that went on. I was trying to figure out how to do a, a Rashomon-type episode mm -hmm. where we would see the same act of, of Next Gen seen from a different perspective. And somehow stumbled onto this idea instead, <laughs> which is <laughs> it's not Rashomon, but it's more like... Um, the same act from a more existential point of view. And uh, I, I really got excited at the idea of doing the ultimate teaser, right. which is the show blowing up. And, um, and which was a model. We blew up models back then. And um, which was pretty cool. Uh, the old undercranked. <laughs> yeah. <data laughs> undercranked. Going back to Lance Henriksen and aliens. Um, but uh, uh, Kelsey Grammer, of course. Um, and it's, so it just kind of evolved into this really cool time loop idea. And it was, it's, it's deceptively simple um, in the writing, too. It was actually very challenging to do because you'd think I could just cut and paste the same act over and over again. But I, it, I had to figure out a way to keep telling a story within... A, within the same iteration right and um and it wasn't just me i mean there i remember i got to a point where i'm like how in the hell do i end this thing and i remember sitting in the writer's room with ron moore and michael pillar and jerry taylor and joe minoski and us banging our heads against the wall until we came up with this idea of the subliminal message which we'll see later in the in the episode um that was not easy to get to it's not like I have some kind of brain that's just bubbling with inspiration. Some of this stuff comes to you, and some of it you really have to struggle to figure out. And when you have something like this, you've got to end well. <laughs> you know? right. It better be good. Well, plus, during, right. during the storytelling, you also have to keep in mind what the, 
what the audience is reacting to and how they're trying to follow along and the questions they're asking. And in order to, uh, you know, take these same scenes and give some sort of a progression, I I'm sure isn't easy at all. No, it's, it's, you know, one thing that I learned to do well was take heady concepts. I'd say do well maybe half the time. Was take kind of these high concept, complex ideas and, and make them um, understandable and dramatic. Right. Uh, later, we'll see the scene where Jordy's explaining the cause, temporal causality loop, which was my first big observation room scene where I had to explain what was going on. And I must have rewritten that scene 25 times. Sure. I remember. Um, we'll, get, we'll get there, but... And here's, you know, the, we liked using the poker scenes for little plot things. Um, and then the poker scenes, though, largely had been for character moments or, you know, sometimes episodes were short and you'd film a, a, a poker scene to pad out an episode. Here, the poker scene is really, you know, uh, so important to telling the story and to, to, the, uh, to you know, obviously yeah, yeah. Uh, understanding it's, what's going on. It's it's kind of the, the grounding scene, and um, yeah, it was used as a plot device. And another plot device that we would employ sometimes, the Geordie visor. Right. In fact, I'm having rewatched this again recently, there's a scene in here, I'll point it out when we get there, that I, Geordie's visor doesn't really factor into the plot in a huge way. He's mm. seeing after images, which I guess is cool. But there's this, there's a long scene where Crusher's scanning his visor later in the show that cut to me stops the momentum mm. a bit. And it's when I watched it again, I'm like, ah, what, what were we thinking here? This this scene's unnecessary because every scene in this show's necessary. There's only one that I saw that I thought I would have today I would have cut that. Mm. And what's that? Um, it's a scene where she's scanned. I'll, I'll point it out to you when it comes okay. up. Um, it's late. It's it's very late in the episode mm -hmm. where things should have just been, where you can feel the building tension and then this one scene happens that just right. kind of stops. It's it. as if it's a, it's a reiteration of something that you didn't need to. That's right. You did. And, but I not only was it a repeating of something, I was showing you something you hadn't seen which was kind of cool, but you didn't really need to see it. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll point mm -hmm. that out. People tend to remember this little um, scene with Crusher. I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> but, um, there's this thing where she knocks her glass of grappa right. or whatever's in that little thing over. Um, becomes a key motif in kind of the unstoppable fate feeling that you start to get later in the episode, which is, I think, very effective. That they're just doomed to keep destroying themselves. And it's interesting because it's something like Yesterday's Enterprise, which is, you know, obviously a great episode of Next Generation, but, you know, sort of the, the catalyst from them finding out that they're, you're not in reality, you know, Guinan feels something and, and convinces Picard. Obviously, is not the strongest solve there. Whereas in this episode, it feels a lot more credible that, uh, you know, which in no way takes away from yesterday's Enterprise because obviously they need to find out somehow. But uh, 
it, 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 this is much more subtle in the way that you start to, you know, reveal that something is amiss and the characters are starting to become privy to it. And that's, and I really like that aspect of it. It's, it's, it's a very cool techno mystery. And, and I love that just when they figure it out, they're about to get destroyed and forget everything. Um, it's very cool. And here we have what I, these, these scenes were always kind of, the flux spectrometers were down for a very long <laughs> But you know, I always liked writing about that stuff. Graviton, pull, Palam, can't even pronounce it. <laughs> it, it. There's something just kind of this kind of po poetry at times. Um, it prepared you for cosmos. Yes, it just it just had it had to have the right ring to it. And we had a science advisor at this time. It was Noreen Shankar. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting, you know. This is, I mean, within the next couple of years, I mean, it would be you and Noreen and and Ron and Renee and just like this. This total, you know, sluggers row of uh, writers who would go on to do such great television over the next twenty years, but um, you know, this is like the last vestige of some of the the older, you know, Herb Wright was still, uh, you know, this was the season Herb Wright was back, Crazy Herb, yeah, you know, and as a young writer, you know, sort of what were your takeaways from working with people, obviously with Michael and Herb uh, to a lesser extent, and. Uh, you know, because this was all kind of new to you. This is the very beginning of your, you know, well, career as a TV writer. Sure. I mean, I had the benefit of having already been involved with the show for a season. I mean, look, for me, when I first got there, uh, at the between seasons three and four, I was... What they were doing in that writer's room seemed like magic to me. I... I remember thinking i can't i cannot do this mm. this mm. i didn't know this is how it was done how are they doing how are they coming up with all these ideas um but i learned from being there and and observing and i was lucky that i was on a show that kind of spoke to me uh, the uss Bozeman. um i really saw some opportunities to do some cool science fiction-y type stuff. My, my episodes on this show weren't the deepest episodes. I mean, like, this is not what I would call a character piece. It uses the characters well, and it's fun, but um, it's not deep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but um, it, it, is, it is a unique techno mystery. And, and again, like you said, it, it was very, it was when this was completely novel. You know, uh, um, obviously it's something, it's a well that has been gone back to sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully. But this was really the beginning of this kind of storytelling that you sort of minted. And it really, you know, and obviously the fact that it holds up so well is, is, is fantastic. Well, it's, God, this was all done with models. Um, yeah. The, uh, yeah, it was, it's funny when I was writing it, I thought this is really cool, um, and my job was to make it work. I used to have one of the being cells from one of those explosions uh, that I had this visual effects guy sign, like Rob Legato. <laughs> I, I wish I still had it. Um, but what was when you're making something like this? 
you're just you're so focused on trying to make it good that you're not necessarily aware that you're doing something new. So I, I really, truly was not aware until I found out coming to work one that like a few days after it aired that people were flipping out because they thought something was wrong with the broadcast. Right. Right. And calls and people. And then I thought, wow, okay, so this was, and then it became clear as the months went by that it was an enormously popular episode. Right. It was popular when it came out. And so it certainly was encouraging to me to do, to, to do more stories like this. Now, it's interesting, uh, this, this scene is uh, the, the subtle changes in the direction. We have a, a slightly different point of view this time. It's not the same shot setups as before. It's there are a couple similar, uh, uh, you know, settings, but it's slightly different, and that's what makes it an interesting new experience. Yeah, but what's really interesting at the time is this is back when when um, TV was shot on film and usually with one camera. Yeah. But for these scenes, they were using multiple cameras to shoot at the same time, rather than have to go back and you know because obviously. They wanted all this stuff shot from different angles. Brandon, did you go back? Uh, were you, you know, was this? Were you able to go down to the set at all and see any of this be yeah, filmed? A little or, bit. Yeah, uh, and also, I mean, I think you have to credit the. I don't know who edited this episode, but you really need to give a lot of credit to the editors. Sure. Because mm -hmm. as you point out, you know, we we sometimes we we shot single cameras. Sometimes, usually on the bridge, multiple or the observation room, mm -hmm. just to shoot things more efficiently. So there was a lot of clever editing going into making each scene a little bit different too. And I, I'll have to look to who edited this. I wish I remembered. Um, I really like this scene. There's a great line in this scene, I think, where Beverly talks about having deja vu. Yeah. Lines both of us at the same time. Are both of us about the same thing? God, I can't remember. Must not have been a good one. I can't remember what it was. But it's a good, it's a goosebumpy moment. And, and you're also uh, servicing some underserved characters here because, you know, a lot of the stories would be, you know, Picard, Riker, Data, you know, Worf. But this is a really strong episode for Gates and for, um, you know, uh, Dr. Crusher yeah, and Jordy like, as well. I like doing episodes with the, with those characters, you know, like I, I think I, I liked Riker a lot. I gave, did a couple of cool episodes for him. You know, it it might also have been because I was it was so intimidating to write for Picard. Mm. <laughs> you know, Data Data was the easiest in some ways because he's so, he's such an immovable object. His reactions to things are always the same, and you just know what he would say about stuff. But Picard, you know, Picard had to be brilliant. And articulate, mm -hmm. and all the things that you're not necessarily necessarily feeling the day you're sitting down to write. Um, Again, the the difference in direction. Both these previous scenes are basically from a different side of the stage line. They are yeah, you know, different should, screen direction. So he's you should swapping it out. I wish Frakes was here for this. <laughs> well, he um, he is here in his direction that we're watching. <laughs> And, you know, look, we, we obviously, you work with Frakes many times, and now on the Orville, I've worked with Frakes on a couple of episodes of TV, too. He's just the greatest, he's such great energy 
and 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 he he just puts everybody at ease on set. You know, there's a lot of sense I think of what a director is, and you know, there's this von Stroheim kind of you know uh, sense that people have, or Otto Otto Preminger, where it be you know, Frakes is the exact opposite of that. He is just let's put on a show kind of high school theater kind of exuberance. Yeah. I try to perfect the rest. Yep. It was the eeriest feeling. Um, and the she's a ribbon in her hair for some reason. Um, these two actors, <laughs> they always tried to bring a lot of subtext to these scenes. Um, there's a weird beat at the end of this scene where they, she thanks him and it is loaded with years of romantic subtext. Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, I think sometimes, especially in a script as shallow as this one, they're just looking for something. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it's something that, you know, the, the writers had wanted to avoid, which was the idea of developing the romance between them, but that they would find it anyway in the subtext. Yeah. And yeah. We, you know, we didn't avoid it. We just were like, let it be. T Here it is. Yeah. See for everything. Mm. Okay. Thank you for everything. That for everything. Yeah. Was loaded with something <laughs> that's only in Gates head. Right. Um, but it's nice to see them together. And then, yeah, these scenes were particularly well done. Because Frakes had to be very specific about what he was doing here. And the way he covers this, it just kind of... Well, and these are such hard scenes to shoot because whenever eight people are sitting around the table, you know, and, and they've been doing it for four years, it's very hard to find interesting ways to shoot that. And I gotta tell you, I, I'm just so fond of this cast. They were so game. I mean, the, the idea, I just thought that they're, they're all in, you know, yeah. on this, this idea. It, and it, I have, I'm like, what was it like for them? They never knew what they were getting when a script came, mm -hmm. you know? It's not like they were pitched something ahead of time. They were just kind of like, there it was. Yeah. Um, it's not like a police procedural where we can, well, you've said this, you said Star Trek is an anthology with recurring characters. To me. To me, you know. this would have, you know, but, you know, this could have been an episode of The Twilight Zone, but it's mm -hmm. a thousand times better as an episode of Star Trek right. because you want to see. I love the USS Bozeman, of course, named after my hometown. Yep. Um, and I just love these visual effects. There's just something with models that you just is a little more tangible than the CGI. Absolutely, it just feels more real and and and, and present. This is just great Star Trek. This ship coming at you. Now they do do a lot of talking. You know, it's the one. You know, you, you, yeah, this is a great shot. There's a, and you know, some of this was in the script. I mean, I was careful to. I was calling shots in the script in terms of when we were. At, what we were seeing outside with the collision and what we were seeing inside. And I think I even scripted that you could see flames coming into the walls. This shot was scripted, this kind of busy star field. So a lot of it was on the page. And I think had 
had to be to some degree, particularly in a, an episode like this. Um, yeah, I remember wondering how they were going to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's really cool. And uh, I remember watching it for the first time, and I was very, uh, very amused at, you know, they they're not going to do that again, are they? And yes, you did over and over again, and it was so wonderful to see the the daring of this. Well, that that was my question to you guys. What was it like? And I'm not saying it's in a self-aggrandizing way. It's just a totally curious way. What was it like to, to watch a weird a weirdo episode like this? For the it was a lot of fun. It was absolutely a lot of fun because I I remember watching this the first time it was on. And uh, just sort of enjoying the ride and, and wondering how it was going to resolve and how, how many more switch-ups we were going to have. It was, a, it was very enjoyable. And I think it's important to remember this came on the week after The Outcast. There could not be two more different episodes. So, you know, you go from The Outcast, which is sort of, you know, this tender, you know, love story, sci-fi love story, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, and then you have this techno mystery. So that again, that's what was great about Star Trek. You never knew what to expect. And then you know, I think what was the next week? The next week was uh, was was it with Oh First Duty, which is an, another right. great uh, uh, episode, um, which is completely different. You know, mutiny at Starfleet Academy, not yeah. mutiny, uh, but uh, so I mean, look, just in three weeks, look how different those th these three episodes are. And I mean, this is really. Look, uh, this the show. Yeah, oh, wait, three, three really good ones too. Yeah, three really good ones, and you know, season five didn't necessarily fire on all thrusters, if I recall, at the beginning. But by the, you know the middle to the end of the season, I mean it was rocking. And and look, you've talked about this on the show before. You were doing twenty six episodes a year. Yeah, it's insane. Right. By the way, this is the scene that I. Wonder is this the scene? No, maybe this scene's okay. Maybe it's a later one. Yeah, doing 26 these a year was brutal, man. And, you know, you always had, you set out to make each one special. You know, you had, a, there's a certain level of quality that people were coming to expect from this show. Um, and it was challenging, you know. And a lot of that, you know, it's, it starts with the writing, you know. And they forget what a short hiatus you had, too. Oh, yeah, so, we had I mean, two weeks off. We had two weeks off. <laughs> Like a real, like two weeks, not figuratively, yeah, like right. literally. And then we were back to the grind. And, you know, we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a lead time, you know, to get some episodes written, but we'd never get more than three or four done, mm -hmm. you know? And then those are gobbled up by production immediately. These shows were shot in seven days. Yeah. And um, there's a shot that's just kind of, and I, I think in the script, I describe it as just kind of this, a feeling of inevitability. And mm. it came up with this kind of side angle, mm. of just kind of this feeling of um, I was also always interested in writing stuff for the show where people weren't talking, because they seemed to be talking a lot. So scenes like I always enjoyed little scenes where people were doing stuff. I also like that Frakes is going handheld here. 
because this yeah. show didn't do much handheld. It, you know, it was a little more formal. I mean, you, you know, and so yeah. the, the fact that she's sort of like having all the, this breakdown and, 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 and we're, you know, shooting handheld rather than being on Dolly or anything. It's just, it's, 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 it's nice. It's a nice choice. Yeah, I agree. And, and with your statement of the, you know, the feeling of inevitability, this scene sort of eases that a bit because it shows that she can do something different this time around. That's right. And yet, still, even, <laughs> still. even still, she knocks over the thing, which tells the audience, I just heard this is probably doomed. Right. In my room, but no one else is here. Just up it could yeah. be that ghost that wants to have sex with you, Beverly. No. There are the good ones and the bad ones. <laughs> oh. uh, but, you know, even the bad ones now, in retrospect, they're so much fun. You know, it's like the same reason, like, we'll, we'll throw on Spock's brain or something. You know, it's just like yeah. you, you can appreciate them in a new light. Well, Spock's, uh, Spock's brain is actually a masterpiece compared to Sub Rosa. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, uh, this was cool. This was... I love stuff like this where we're hearing what sound like ghostly voices, but there's a there's a technical explanation. They're, right. it, it's their voices, um, echoing yeah, from all the different iterations of the loops. It's mm -hmm. a cool narrow bandwidth analysis. That's reasonable. Sure, absolutely. Not a too foreign, <laughs> and and. Yeah, and it's, we, it's as interesting we can. because you mentioned earlier that you know the show had wanted to do Rashomon for a while, and whenever it did, it was like a matter of perspective. It was exactly what you expect—the murder mystery from multiple perspectives. You know, using the holodeck to recreate. But that, what, what you know, what, this is, as you said, it inspired Rashomon, but it's not doing Rashomon. But it, it's a great jumping-off point to give you something that feels much more Trekian. Than just like, oh, okay, we're going to take a movie and we're going to knock it off and do it, you know, in the Star Trek universe. I mean, this is, just feels wholly original. Yeah, and sometimes I, you know, there's Palm Springs and Edge of Tomorrow are two recent examples of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. time loop stories. And it's kind of become a subgenre or a sub subgenre, you know? Yep. And there's a certain length. I mean, it's this, this scene, I rewrote this thing so many times. They kept kicking it. Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor kept kicking it back to me. Yeah. I remember that it was over the, hol the Christmas holiday. I went back to visit my family in Ohio, and I remember this scene, working on this scene over the holiday. I can't remember what year it was, but um, 90... 91, maybe? Yeah, so, uh, that's always nice. You get a little bit of a break, and then all of a sudden, it's like you well, find I yourself doing a rewrite I, of a... I had to... This was my first really challenging... It's the same with the phase shift in my visor. ...having to make this clear hmm. and interesting. And by the way, God bless Patrick Stewart for committing. <laughs> I mean, like, they, these guys have to sell it. Was this for your first sole script credit? Because you had done like reunion with um, with Ron, right? You'd done a couple of where you were. The first, you were well, the first one I wrote all, all on my lonesome was uh, Identity Crisis. Mm. All right, and the game I think were before this. Sure. Um, 
I don't know if I ended up getting full credit, but those were ones I wrote. Um, and of course, Identity Crisis was my homage to Blow Up, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another techno <laughs> mystery of sorts, as was the game, which was a page of the body snatchers. You right. can see how bereft my imagination was. This was my only truly original <laughs> idea. Um, so here they're figuring it out. And it's cool because you kind of feel like this could have been the end of the show. <laughs> but I remember thinking, no, we have to, they have to, they have to blow up again and forget everything. Like, and that's kind of where I hit a wall. <laughs> so I couldn't figure out how to get him out of the loop. And, um, I mean, how much of this were you, uh, I mean, like, it's a long time, so you may not remember, but how much is were you breaking in the room and how much were you kind of f- figuring out on your own? It was, it was 50-50. I mean, mm-hmm. we did pretty detailed breaks, but sometimes we would leave it up to the writer. And in this case, I believe I, I, I just was like, had to bring it back to the room to say, guys, I, I, I need some help here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but a lot of times you figure out the important stuff and you get, you know where things are going, but um, a lot of it you're discovering as you're writing. And it was always good to be on script because you didn't have to take pitches from writers, because that was, of course, what was unique about Next Generation was that um, they were seeing pitches. They, if you had a lawyer or you had an agent or if you would sign a release form, potentially you could have your script looked at by Star Trek and. You know, so much of the low-level writers' times and some of the high-level writers were consumed by taking these pitch, pitches from uh, from writers. So when you were on script, you didn't have to take pitches. No, uh, yeah. If you were on script, you were kind of sent off to go write. Um, and you... Michael Piller liked to have everybody involved in the story breaks. Um, he was very... Um, that was important to him. So mm-hmm. several hours a day was that. So we were all involved in every episode. We're in business. Senior officers report to the bridge. On our way. Prepare for being destroyed again. So even when you were on script, he would still have you come in and you'd be breaking yes. uh, episodes that were coming down the pike. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much... I mean, like modern writing steps, or some mm-hmm. steps, but, you know, it was a great group. Just a, it was just wonderful group of writers, not a huge staff. I was going to say, given how many episodes you guys were doing a year, it wasn't really that big a staff. And no. Michael would always talk about how hard it was to find writers who could write Star Trek. It was. I mean... He had a young staff. I mean, Jerry Taylor was his most seasoned person. Mm-hmm. He was amazing. Then he had these got these kids, and I'm sure it was. <laughs> he was. He brought some Emmy award-winning writers in there, and they just incredibly talented people. Mm-hmm. Just didn't get the show. It was just a particular thing. I mean. By the way, I have to say, I really love the. Um the remastered version, the color timing is so much better than it was on the original broadcast versions. Yes, that's a great point. It's amazing you watch 
when these were broadcast, it, it's like you're looking at a vastly encoded TV. It's so blurry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great to see these remastered. This is kind of a thankless episode for Michelle Forbes, though, isn't it? Well, she at the time she was kind of a semi regular. I didn't. I don't know why she that could have been anybody there, but she. We we were kind of assuming at that time she was going to be a, a, a part of our show. Right. Right. And this was before Pillar wanted to put her on Space Nine. Nine. Yeah. Um, what would become the the, the Nana visitor Nana visitor role? Yeah. And I think here we have the final loop. Um. I just. This is, I agree. This is where it's just kind of like okay. <laughs> let's yeah. Let's see how it. Let's see how it spins out. So the the, the concept of the numbers, um, subliminally appearing. Um, I honestly can't remember how that came up. It was in the writers' room, but it was a, it was the right move, mm. because you have another mystery. Why is that number appearing? Right. So, and that's kind of an, an added, I think what makes the, the ending satisfying is that you got a mystery and a mystery. Well, you solved the mystery of why they're in the loop. Now you have the mystery of what the hell this is supposed to mean mm -hmm. or why it's happening. It's funny with with all the with all the uh, commercial breaks and the you know the cliffhangers or the you know ex explosion and go to and go to commercial. Um, it reminded me of when I used to watch the original series with my dad, because after those things would happen when we were watching them, he would always turn to me and say, "Well, as if what what's going to happen next?" He, he did that all the time, and I it it doesn't leave my head every time i see something like this especially this episode i hear my dad saying that and it's uh, it's really fun well it, it's great because in, in this episode the acts really are acts and the act breaks really land very you know powerfully and this is back when you know you sat through the commercials so the act sure. breaks were important it's not like streaming where you know <laughs> right. it, 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 <laughs> well yeah i mean act breaks can be so arbitrary sometimes but in this episode they are distinct ends to the time loop. Right. So it's like using the commercial breaks to your advantage. Um, and here we have this scene shot a little bit of a slightly different way. And we had these wonderful feelings you never get to see. Right. <laughs> and this is great, the low angle. Is this is I mean, Frank's really did a nice job on this. You rarely episode. see that ceiling. Mm-hmm. Very cool. A lot of detail that Herman Zimmerman put in. And this is the scene where I felt like did I need to see this again? Right. Mm. Um, Let's talk about your visor, Jordy. Well, but this scene we've seen. We've seen it multiple times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here, and now she. But here's what we. Now she runs an optical diagnostic. Um, and this is where I was kind of like, well, <laughs> why are we watching? I mean, this is just a retrospect. Um, yeah, of course. I'm like, why are, why are we watching this? Why is this scene important? Yeah, but, you know, Brandon, the, it's the old expression, you know, art is never, uh, you never, you never finish. It's only abandoned. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to watch stuff you made 10, 20, 30 years oh, ago God. because you're looking at it, you're re-editing in your mind, you're remixing it, you're rewriting it. You can't help it. This Even was the a best. Nice, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I was like, 
I love that he has a painting of his own ship. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, in case you forget what it looks like. Like, <laughs> like, wouldn't you maybe have a, a field of flowers or something like that? Something you can't see every day. Um, but this was a nice touch because here you just have Picard having deja vu about reading something which he'd mentioned earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, I'd like a painting of space to remind me I'm in space. I'm on my way. I hate this book. And then that was, I just wanted. Yeah, so here, here's a continuation of this scene. Again, this scene, in retrospect, just wasn't really necessary right now. Mm, right. Now, we, I guess it was to explain what was happening with his visor. Um, Keep advised, Doctor. But also, was this you or is this Michael? Because I know Michael sometimes like to add the sort of superfluous techno babble. I have to. Can I pee real quick? Can you guys pause this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. hold on. Right. I have encountered the numeral three an inordinate number of times over the last two hours. So, Mark, you had a question about Pillar. Yeah, just you know, I know that Pillar was very fond of techno babble and felt that it gave the show credibility. So I know you, you're not as fond of, of of it here. Oh, and I wonder if maybe this was sort of Michael sort of pressure. No, no, not at all. No, I no I techno I like techno babble. I relied on it to some degree. Mm. I mean, especially in something like this, you know, I can send a message to my positronic net. I mean, what would I do without Dave's right. positronic net? Um. Here's a, yet oh, another this, angle up from up above. This is something you've never seen this seen shot before, before no. nor will again. Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite moments in this is earlier when Picard hears himself calling the order to abandon ship. is a great moment. It, it's because it's so creepy. He, like you're listening to yourself dying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, right about this, then perhaps we can escape from the loop by avoiding the collision. That's our guess. And they're having the same discussion again. <laughs> yeah. And I guess we really took this to the brink of the very end of the story. <laughs> like, it really, at the last minute they figured out, here comes Captain Batesman, the end. It's a good, it's a good finish. Yeah. Now, is this apocryphal? I mean, you may not know, because you may not have been involved in this, but um, after Kelsey was cast, a uh, big Star Trek fan, as uh, Bateman, there was talk of wanting to get Kirstie Alley to be the first officer on the on the ship. Do you know if there's any truth to that? Is that an apocryphal story? A first officer on which ship? On the on the Bose on the on the Bozeman. Bozeman. Oh, I uh, I don't think that's true. Okay, I, we did. We may have talked about her being the captain mm. um, or something. I I don't know if Kelsey was always. You know, I didn't get involved a lot in casting. I, I mean, sure. I remember learning that Kelsey was going to do it. Um, yeah, I don't, I can't confirm or deny that. I, I doubt it, though. I think, I think it would have been overkill. It, it would have been distracting um, for, for the ending. Because then you want to see that whole episode. Yeah. You know, with the... Report. 
Um, so, of course, the scene, the scene that began the show that we've seen over and over again is now mm -hmm. the finale. Let's have a shout-out, though, to the uh, Riker stance on there with his foot up on the... Uh... Yeah, I was never... <laughs> <laughs> I've never fully convinced it doesn't happen in this one, but when he's thrown to the ground, um, <laughs> it was just like, yeah, it's slightly inhuman. But, no, he's he had his feet on the furniture all the time. <laughs> Get your foot off the console. <laughs> See, what it turns out is that it's his foot on the console that is pressing this button that is exploding them. No, but he states is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the story point that Riker's standing right by Data. It's funny, Mark, I'm sure you've talked about how weird it is in some of these two shots that if, if you, even if you could make, have made these remasters a wider perspective um people look weird sitting so close together yeah mm -hmm. yep yep <laughs> and then uh rank insignia as a the tractor beam will not be successful the magic number i'm decompressing the main shuttle bay surely it doesn't take that many buttons to decompress the shuttle bay well everything would be so automated right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like but it's huh. But for dramatic reasons. Well, what happened? At the last moment. I mean, these were fun times making this show. You know, having going down to the set and seeing. That indicated to me that his suggestion. You know, uh, that was your whole life. Then, I mean, twenty-six episodes. You know, oh, fifty yeah. weeks a year. You know, working till you know three, four in the morning. I mean, it was fun, but. In which you don't, and of course, you don't realize at the time that this show would go on to become a popular show for decades. Yeah. But you don't know that when you're doing it. You know, I watch this now with so much fondness and remembrance. I mean, um, I mean, we're talking about this. What is it? What, this was the fifth season, so this was what ninety, ninety-three or ninety-four. Yeah, about uh, twenty-eight years ago. Something like that. I mean, this is—it's crazy. It is crazy, and I mean, I and I, I still enjoy talking about it. And know. that's crazy too. <laughs> well, no. They were formative. They weren't boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was not. This show was an amazing experience. I mean, everything that you can imagine. Working on a show like this, it was there, and it was—it was challenging. It was. Yeah, I always loved seeing the bridges of other ships. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if it was just a one wall set. Um, I love those those uniforms from the move from yeah. the, the from the original room. movies. Yeah. Sensors detected a temporal distortion. And plus, you know, it's also people who are no longer with us. And when you look back on obviously Michael Pillar, you know, who was such a, a um, important figure in your you know early career and and. Uh, you know, you guys were all so tight as friends. You know, how could you not be working together for so long? And then, you know, you, you guys all go on to create and do your own shows. So, you know, that, that kind of close-knit stuff by necessity, just sort of everyone goes their own way. 
Sort of like when you look back at your friends from high school and you say, oh my God, you all went, you're a lawyer and you're a doctor and you're this. And boy, we were all such good friends and I haven't seen you in, you know. Let's see who edited this episode. Yeah, we'll take a look. Um, so we, you can give them their props finally. And no casting in this episode other than having to cast, uh, you know, it was an offer. J.P. Farrell. Yeah, he was one. He was great. Yeah, the uh, the Cheers was shooting down the not far from our from us. Yeah, on the Paramount lot. And um, yeah, and by the way, it's worth mentioning this this episode cost nothing. Right, right. like well, it, it, except like for it the, was, the it, well, it had a couple of visual effects. Yeah, but really, mm -hmm. this show had was one of these episodes that, that undoubtedly saved money right but it's just a real testament to how you don't have to have magnificent endless action sequences um you're just telling a simple story that on this show is considered a bottle show yeah or, or, it was a bottle show that was one step away from being a clip show you know I well mean, said <laughs> <laughs> so and, uh, oh what's that Lauren. Oh, in, credit in, in, for the Indonesia right. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, What's Dar that? Dar Darmawan was Worf and Bateson. What's that? It's what the, are you guys watching? It's in the credits. Or, or, they, they have it in there on Netflix. This uh, is on off Netflix. the Blu-ray. On Netflix. What? No, this is Netflix. Oh, this is Netflix. Oh, yeah. it's Netflix. Okay. Why the, Billy. why the Indonesia version and not the, 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 the Japanese version? It, it beats me. Oh, well, look at that. How, how interesting. <laughs> well, you know, all the money you saved went into the next episode in the first duty because they had to build, you know, go on location and support oh, yeah. the dam. And they had to build all those uh, Starfleet Academy quarters and uh, big yeah. cast for that episode. Oh, yeah. No, I remember when we'd have a new set or something like that, every, we'd always go down. And I remember being on the set for the first duty. Um, and I remember... We're not doing commentary for the first duty, but <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> but uh, my favorite, one of my top five Picard lines is in that show: "The uh, a live omission is still a lie." Mm -hmm. And that scene where he chews out fucking uh, Wesley Cushard's one of the great Picard scenes. Oh yeah, yeah, he's really he's he's really great. See, now you got your coming attractions for next week. There you go. So we did we did the uh, the, the promo. <laughs> Well, this, look, this was great, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to look back at, at cause and effect. And the great thing is we're going to do it again next week. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's always good to, 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 to talk uh, Star Trek with you. And God, when we start talking about how old these episodes are, it blows my mind. It's I know. Just, yeah, I know. Crazy. I know. Where'd the time go? Well, in a funny way, that it's reassuring because it, it's... It's it's like yes, a lot of time has passed, but it I don't know. There's something kind of it's, it grounds you in rec the recollection is reassuring somehow. It's like we have shared we have something that we can. It's not like the past was empty, right. mm -hmm. you know. And I'm glad it still holds up. You know, it's not something you look back and say, "Oh, you know, if only." Well, by the way, that is that is a huge testament to the sensibility that um the behind the scenes people insisted on like mm -hmm. the, the characters would speak in a, and that's why they were hard to write it's kind of this weird classical 
like no no current jargon, mm-hmm. but, uh, but not too stiff. Like there's these episodes, they're shot in a very classical style. There's not a lot to date them. The, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're shot on 35 millimeter film. Um, it's, you know, some of the visual effects, of course, um, but there's not a lot to date them. You know, the, yeah. the, or, the scores are classical, big orchestral, orchestral, orchestral yeah. scores. And I think it's, um, I think it's one of the reasons there's just, you watch an episode like that. There's not, there's nothing necessarily telling you that that wasn't shot a week ago. Right. And people forget you didn't have a lot of money. I mean, these were $1.5 million. I mean, inched up over the years, but it was, this was not a lot of money then. It's definitely not a lot of money now. Again, seven days. Um, we never went outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very rarely. We did, yeah. It was like a field, like we had a certain number of days per season that we could go out on location. Yeah. And when we did, it was like a, a mess because no one was used to doing it. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we had, we, we definitely, had to find, we never could rely on visual effects. Um, we always had such a, a limited budget right. mm-hmm. that we kind of had to figure out cool stories to do that um, were the kinds of stories Gene wanted to do, which were, you know, weren't, this, this wasn't an action show. No, no, it definitely wasn't. Um, um, anyway, thanks, hey, guys. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, uh, audience, for joining us for another episode of the Trexperts Briefing Room. Listen to uh, Trexperts Briefing Room on Inglorious Trek, and you can listen to it on its own feed at Trexperts Briefing Room uh, to find out about upcoming episodes. You can follow us on social at Inglorious Trek on Twitter and Inglorious Trexperts on Clubhouse and on Instagram. So, and join us for our live after shows on Clubhouse intermittently. Um, and enjoy our other podcasts, such as Best Movies Never Made, uh, like Rebel and the Rogue, and the 430 movie on Electric Now, where you can da- watch streaming video podcasts, download the Electric Now app. So, until next time, on behalf of Brandon Braga, myself, Mark Altman, and Darren Docterman, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. And the briefing room is now closed. Scott, what do you repeat what you just told us? About an hour ago, the bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened. As if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.